0: Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium.
1: Zibigowski, going to get to the outside.
0: He has blockers in front.
2: Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja.
0: inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame and scores! Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones, a letter rule, Tony Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores!
1: Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish?
3: Hey, what's up? And welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. As I mentioned towards the end of our last episode, we're doing our Virginia Tech preview a little different this week. The uh, Sons of Saturday Virginia Tech guys hosted us this week for a crossover episode, so we're just going to put that out on our feed as well. We go longer than normal, but we covered a bunch of different topics, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So um, here's your Notre Dame Virginia Tech preview, courtesy of the Sons of Saturday.
4: All right, everybody. Tuesday, October 5th, we are in the midst of, of game week, we're coming off the bye, and listen, a lot of big time sports going on right now. It is October. We got postseason baseball going on downstairs. The Red Sox are playing the Yankees downstairs. It's on the other desktop right
1: here. What are, we, what, what are you doing? We got to get it. We got to get that pulled out. Don't you have two uh, desktops on your desk? I don't want to be distracted during our okay. podcast, Billy Ray. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you got to work on your
4: multi uh, multi functioning ability. <laughs> so. Uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish coming into town this Saturday afternoon or this Saturday evening. But uh, we got a podcast to record. We have the Sons of Sat Irish on tonight doing a little guest preview self-scouting. But first, before we get into that, before we break it down and run with the fun intros, got a hokey haiku presented by our friends at the Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, the king of Blacksburg, Virginia, you walk into Main Street Pharmacy, say, hey, Dr. Jeremy, I want a Sons of Saturday t-shirt. Oh, you know what? A button, a pin. That sounds like a lot of fun, too. It says beat Notre Dame on it. Get yourself a sticker. Get your prescription filled. Get some Pedialyte for Sunday morning, maybe some toothpaste, deodorant, you know, what have you. Dr. Counts has your back. Go to the Main Street Pharmacy, the best pharmacy in all of Virginia, where you are a neighbor. Not a number,
1: Pat. I would just re uh, rehammer down that this uh, pins are now available for the Notre Dame game specifically at Main Street Pharmacy. So just doubling down on that. Um, so head on down, get your uh, get your pins. Great job, Katie, and great job, Al,
4: on designing them and making it happen. Thank you, guys. So our IQ is submitted by NBC 29's finest, Riley Wyant. She says, "Time to prove ourselves." Notre Dame is mid at best. Sorry, Brian Finn. Pretty good haiku. Uh, Brian is my brother, former uh, Morrissey Manor uh, alumni there. But uh, this is going to be a fun weekend, guys. and uh, We are excited to welcome in Tyler Wojak, Luke Smith, of the Sons of Saturday Irish podcast, uh, hailing from Chicago and L.A. So I guess what we'll do here, we'll do a quick roundtable. Tyler, give a quick intro, Uh, Luke, give a quick intro, and then I'll tie us up, and then we can jump into some hokey history. Um, But yeah, uh, you guys have the floor.
3: All right, cool, I'm Tyler. Um, Like you mentioned, I live in Los Angeles right now. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018. Uh, Currently work as a producer for this company called Religion of Sports. Um, Spent some time at ESPN for the past three years. Luke and I have been doing our podcast. Um, This is our second season publicly. We did one during the 2019 2019 season privately and didn't really release any. So there's just a bunch of private take, bunch of private tapes that exist on my laptop. But uh, yeah, second season doing this. second season be a part of sons of Saturday. it's been great so far.
2: Absolutely. And I'm Luke Smith. I'm living in Chicago, like Pat said, graduated from Notre Dame in 2019. Uh, He mentioned his brother, Brian, who lived in Morrissey, who was also mentioned in that haiku, which I got to say is a bit contradictory because I don't know how you prove yourself against a team that's mid or mediocre, but I don't know. I just (laughs) want to throw that out there. Um, But uh, I I myself have a real job that I I don't want to talk about. I don't work in sports media like Tyler, but I've been doing this with him for, I guess, two and a half years now, having a blast, having a a blast being a part of the Suns of Saturday brand and uh, really excited to, to be on here today.
4: So to, uh, thank you, guys. To tie us together, um, Luke and I met in Blacksburg in 2018 when Notre I, Dame – Probably like there. three years ago today. Yeah, exactly. He said uh, – I don't even – I got a phone number from Ryan. I think Ryan Underdog passed yep. me along someone's phone number. It was it was Judd or Joe Rooney or someone. And they said, hey, w- we got seven Notre Dame guys. Oh, Were you guys seniors at the time? All seniors at Notre we Dame? We were, Yeah coming down from South Bend in a Cruise America RV. they said, where do we park this thing? Where's the party? (laughs) So so, uh, I think I was texting with Patrick Judd and we met up at Sharky's and then, uh, you know, kind of went around town, had a lot of fun on Friday night. Didn't get to tailgate with you guys on Saturday, but I know that you guys had a ton of fun in Blacksburg. And then uh Judd moved up to DC area the next year uh, so hung out with him around there and then uh Luke and I linked up again in Athens for the Georgia Notre Dame game in 2019 Luke, Luke actually spotted me a ticket to that game that's kind of how Sons of Saturday actually started believe it or not uh down in Athens that day one of the uh the catalysts of the podcast but we can we can do a little bit more of that at the very end. Just wanted to tie things together here. Pleasure to have you guys on, and I'm going to kick it over to Grayson for some hockey <laughs> history slash fighting Irish flash fighting Irish flashbacks. It's kind of hard to say.
0: Yeah, no, uh, let's let's talk about it. Uh, first off, believe it or not, there isn't a whole lot of history between these two programs. The Hokies and the Fighting Irish have only ever met a resounding three times. Uh, All of those have been in the last five years. Uh, The first of those meetings was in 2016 in South Bend. Uh, From what I understand, it was a very cold night. Pat, I know you were there. Bill, you were there too. Um, Luke and Tyler, I'm not sure if either of you guys made the trip, but the Hokies fought back from an initial 17-point deficit to beat the Irish 34-31 to in dramatic fashion. In 2018, the Irish come to town, led by Ian Book, and uh, they put the beat down on the Hokies, 45-23, to 23, in front of a striped-out stadium. In 2019, the Irish beat the Hokies in even more dramatic fashion. Ian Book marches down the field in South Bend, leads a final-minute scoring drive that, yes, absolutely ripped the hearts out of Hokie faithful everywhere. Soul-crushing. Uh, oh, it was and even soul-crushing.
3: some Notre Dame fans. <laughs> oh, oh, well, y'all know, I'm sure, <laughs> sure, His
0: own crowd. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, but if, if y'all don't remember that, that was the game in which Divine Diablo had that awesome scoop and score, and I was going absolutely ballistic in jocks for dailies in Los Angeles, and Ian Book had to do it to us. Um, but Saturday's game will be the fourth meeting for these two teams, uh, and neither program has had a change in head coach since the first time playing one another. Um, and we we both kind of we, – we match up well. We're both, as Riley Wyatt so eloquently put it, uh, our offense – I guess they're comparable in the sense that they're not really cooking right now. And both of us have stout defenses. So should be an interesting matchup. You know, Grayson, you talk- Go ahead, Pat. Quick thing, Grayson, you mentioned
4: that the head coaches haven't changed over the past uh, three meetings, but the defensive coordinators have changed from both schools. You know, we go from Bud Foster, Justin Hamilton, and then Notre Dame has had, you know, they're on, you guys are on your third D court? Yeah. So
2: 2016, I think was an interim DC, uh, who took over for BVG. 2019 was Clark Lee and now we're on to Marcus Freeman. So yeah, we, I guess have kind of had quite a bit of turnover there. And despite what some of the fan base might've wanted after last week's loss to Cincinnati, Brian Kelly is still the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: and three quick points, 2016, coldest game of all time. Yeah. 20- 2018, the Dexter Williams run feed decks uh, that, you know, 90 plus yard run in Lane Stadium still gives me nightmares. The 2019 annexation of Puerto Rico play at the end of the game also kind of gives me nightmares. Um, but, you know, onward to 2021. Billy Ray, what about uh, what about the calendario for uh, for the next couple of decades here? What do we got?
1: I love it. I actually love that this has become a little bit of a thing. We're going to go on through a little bit of a hiatus here. We're going to take take a little break, um, but then we will be meeting back in South Bend in 2027 to play the Fighting Irish, then back in Blacksburg in 2028. And then in 2033 and 2036, um, we'll be bringing our grandkids to watch um, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech square off um, and be those weird old guys that do podcasts. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the... Uh, that's kind of the future uh, future outlook here. I love that this is something that we keep doing. Um, I guess we could talk about this now before we get into the game. I just want to ask you both on behalf of the entire ACC, the fact of the matter is we need you more than you need us by a very large margin. And I just want to know what each of your takes are in joining in joining the ACC. Um, it would really help us out a ton. I don't know if you guys have been seeing what's going on, but uh, we would really love uh, to extend the invitation. And anyone that says they don't, I I can't get on board with that white way of thinking. But Pat, go ahead. I know you. Well, before you guys go, Pat, what's your point?
4: I'm just saying, Billy, you, you sound a little desperate over here.
1: I, I, yeah, I'm we sure. are a little desperate. No, be you want to do ACC this year? The no, ACC yeah.
4: is, is an atrocity. You got to sell them a little bit. You got to warm them up and not just say, Hey, you know, you can buy my Twilio for one cent, you know, Come on. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> what are
1: you, what are y'all's thoughts on joining uh, on joining the ACC or joining any conference uh, at this point?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll let you kick this off because I, I mean, I think we both had the same thoughts, but I'd like to hear your rationale behind it first.
3: So any chance of Notre Dame joining a conference in the near future, pretty much went away with the expanded 12 um, team playoff format, because now there really isn't any incentive for Notre Dame to join because there's going to be six at large bids. Now had the playoff expanded to eight teams with the suggested five automatic qualifiers to the conference champions, and then three at large bids. I think that actually would have been enough for Notre Dame to join a conference, but <clears throat> Jack Swarbrick plays a pretty big role in all this happening and in, in uh, Greg Swankie as well, the SEC commissioner, he doesn't want that eight-team playoff either because that negatively impacts the SEC. So now we're at 12, potentially six at-large bids. Jack Swarbrick is part of the committee that sort of suggested that. Forfeited a first-round buy, essentially, because as long as Notre Dame isn't in a conference, those four are going to go to conference champions. But look, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on why Notre Dame doesn't want to join a conference. I think the biggest misconception is that it's a money thing. Um, because if Notre Dame were to join a conference, they would actually generate more revenue via the TV contract on a on a black and white basic th- on a black and white basis more so than they do with NBC, which is a very common misconception. A lot of people think that that's their main reason why they're independent. It really has to do with they want to play a national schedule. They want to go around to all their different alums all around the country and play in front of them. Um, a few years ago, I think it was 2018, they played a game in New York, Chicago. LA and one other big market all in the month of South Bend. That's
2: the big market.
3: Of course. (laughs) How could I forget? I mean, you look at us like I'm living in Los Angeles, Luke lives in Chicago and I'm from Louisville too. So Um, Luke's obviously a little bit closer to campus, but um, in the strength of schedule thing, like I'm sure we're, we're, uh, we get mentions all the time. Some of which from your fans, like just join a conference. I would just like to point out that last year when we did join the ACC, our schedule got significantly easier when we did so. So, I don't really know, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon as at least as long as this 12 team playoff format if that stays the same. There's really no incentive.
1: I must say, that is one of the most eloquent answers to that question that I have ever heard. You <laughs> tied in it. we want to see our alumni, you made it about the fans. I I I can get on I can get on board with that. And I used to think that all these Notre Dame folks had their nose up in the air, but ever since I went to South Bend, it's been, it's been a gradual coming to love. Uh, the- <laughs> so I,
2: uh, I That's can- rare. That <laughs> it's no, I, like- I don't know. I, I think yeah. that actually people- that you, if you go, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and we might not, we might not like them ourselves, but I mean, oh, you know, okay. our, <laughs> opposing fans, we're not kidding. Uh, I guess my side of that, I think Woj's aspect bringing up the playoff definitely is a big component of that. Um, I I think that the bigger piece for me is Notre Dame really does cling to its independence and that it allows it to play a national schedule. And as is, I think they're committed to play anywhere from five to six ACC games each year. Although it's interesting because I was actually looking at our schedule for next year earlier this morning. And I noticed that we only have four teams on the schedule for next year from the ACC. So I'm not sure what happened there, but I thought it was six every year. Maybe it's not. But it allows Notre Dame to really build its own and craft its own schedule. And I mean, we're going to Columbus next year to open the season against Ohio State. And then through the ACC, we play Clemson next year. So you're still playing top notch competition, although we'll see where Clemson goes from here. I think, you know, maybe an outlying factor that people aren't discussing as much is that the new ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips. He has worked at Notre Dame in the past. He was Northwestern AD for a long time. Now he's taken over the new role at the ECC and and he has two children at Notre Dame right now as students. So he knows the place probably better than everybody. And I think that's a unique situation because one, he understands how much value adding Notre Dame to his conference full time would bring. But two, he also understands how tied the people at the university are to, to clinging to independence. So while it's his job to, to try to convince Notre Dame to join, I think he probably understands better than anybody how difficult that task will be. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I don't see it changing in the foreseeable future. And I think the playoff is probably the final nail in the coffin, but I would certainly watch the, the Jim Phillips factor because I think there's some things to play there.
1: A lot of moving parts love playing the Irish love getting down to South Bend, but let's go ahead and let's talk about this football game that we play on Saturday night. We'll start with setting the table. What are we going to summarize it? What are the feelings from both fan bases? What does this football game mean? Grayson, kick that off for what this means to the Hokies coming up on Saturday.
0: Yeah, uh, the Hokies coming to Saturday's game 3-1 and with wins over UNC, Middle Tennessee, and the University of Richmond. Our only loss comes at the hand of the West Virginia Mountaineers in week three. Shout out to Bill. Watch that one together. That was fun. Uh, walked into a buzzsaw there in Morgantown. Uh, They were just ready for us, and we weren't ready for them. So far, the Hokies have only won the first of our big four, as we've talked about. Uh, If you remember, we talked about those games being UNC, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Miami. Yeah, we'll see about Miami. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. At the beginning of the season, it was one of the big four. I don't think it is anymore. I think it's Pittsburgh now. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Notre Dame is the third of those, of those big four games, at least the ones we talked about at the beginning and for Virginia Tech, it's a must win. It sets the tone for the rest of the 2021 season. What does that mean? It means that this game is going to tell us a lot about where this team stands in terms of resiliency, grit, the staff, depth. And a myriad of other things. Uh, it it just is going to tell us a lot. We've had an entire extra week to prepare for the Irish at home. The Terror Dome will be striped with ponchos, which is unfortunate. Uh, if you think about it, it is supposed to rain on Saturday, and I, th- the crowd's going to be a factor. It's going to give it gives me shadows already. Just thinking about it, if it rains, 2009 Miami game for the Hokie nation. They remember that one very well. So the question is, can we rise to the challenge? Of winning another big game on a Saturday night at home, we won a huge game against the North Carolina Tar Heels. But can we do it twice in the same season? In Justin Fuente's era at Virginia Tech, it's been a challenge. So we'll see. Time will
1: Kind of, kind of interested to hear you pull the the must win uh, out of the uh, out of the socket this early in the season.
0: Um, gotta, gotta do it, man. We gotta. This is Fu and Co need this one. I'll say we that do, we do need it. I just, I think, I think there are so many definitions
1: of the word must win that um, we may, yeah. may disagree on that one, but anyway, sure. huge game. What do we got uh, on the uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish side?
2: This game is very much an inflection point in the Irish season. Uh, their name's four and one right now. They beat in Florida state, Toledo, Purdue and Wisconsin And all kind of confusing games, and, and now we're coming off a pretty pathetic performance against a Cincinnati team that's now ranked in the top five. I don't know that I believe they're a top five team. I think they're pretty darn good. I don't know if they're quite that good. But in the Cincinnati game, Notre Dame spotted them 10 points in the first half off three horrible turnovers and limped into half down 17-0. Our rally in the second half fell short, and, and Notre Dame fell 24-13. to losing its first home game in over four years. And we're left with a lot of questions now. team certainly has flaws, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And the 4-0 start they had did not come without scares, as I mentioned. Frankly, I think Annie Lennox's walking on broken glass was probably a great metaphor for their pretty shoddy performances and just the myriad of injuries they have on their roster, particularly across the offensive line. I think that that a good comparison here is, is two years ago, Notre Dame limped into the Virginia Tech game after an embarrassing loss in Ann Arbor to Michigan. And in the Virginia Tech game, Notre Dame struggled mightily. They had the opportunity to go up 21-7 to in the first half when Jafar Armstrong fumbled and the Hokies returned at 98 yards for a touchdown to tie the game up. Really slogged through the second half. And thankfully, for our sake, Ian Book left last-minute drive to win the game for the Irish. He had a lot of big conversions to Chase Claypool on that drive. Had a design run to tie, and then we won with the extra point, but that was also when Ian Book subsequently shushed his own fans, which was probably a pretty good summation of the tenor of things at that moment coming off that loss to Michigan. I don't think things are quite that bad at this moment, but I do think there's some parallels after our 26-game home winning streak with Snap Saturday, and I'm just very eager to see how this team uses this game. Uh, that 2019 team used Virginia Tech as a launching pad after that, they won their last five games by an average of 28 points to finish the year 11-2 and two and just dominated Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl. We'll see where this Notre Dame team goes from here. I mean, they've beaten 35 straight unranked opponents, which obviously comes into play again on Saturday. But I, uh, I really don't know which of two ways they're going to go, but I'm excited to see which one it is.
1: So, fellas, the way that we're going to do this is I just want to kind of go down the line and talk about our each side of the ball, ask each other questions. If we have questions and I'll, I'll go ahead and kick things off with Virginia tech. Um, There's not a lot going on with either one of these offenses. Um, not Virginia a bit, tech, not a bit. Virginia tech is averaging 23.5 points per game, which is by far the least in the coach Funte tenure. Um, we came off a very <laughs> You can call it a lackluster performance versus the University of Richmond, um, where we squeaked by, essentially. We tried a bunch of different things, um, some things to look forward to. Trey Turner did have 100 yards receiving. We spread the ball around. Tavion Robinson has come into his into his own. But there's much to be desired. 17 points against North Carolina, a huge win. Uh, you're playing keep away there. 35 points against Middle Tennessee, 21 against West Virginia, and 21 against Richmond. Um, that's been the issue this year is we don't have an offensive identity. We don't really know who we are, what we can hang our hat on. We know that we have an experienced offensive line that is very, very thin. Speaking of which, we don't know if Silas Zanzi is going to be available. We rolled out a different offensive line, saw LaCita Smith play tackle, which we had not seen yet to the, up until that point. Um And then the running backs, Raheem Blackshear has kind of been the guy who's been able to do everything, whether it's in the passing game, whether it's in the running game, whether it's in the return game. Um, But this is kind of that moment where we're waiting to see. Coach Fuente said it. This is the best that he's felt about the passing game all season. And we haven't, we're not even close to eclipsing a thousand yards passing. Um, So this is where it's going to be, you know, we have to show something here. Um, My question marks are, Is this when we finally see Braxton Burmeister run the ball a little bit more? Is this where we see some more vertical passing, some passing over the middle of the field? Um, But uh, Hokie nation is dying to see something, uh, some sort of momentum on the offensive side of the ball. Um, What's going on over in uh, South bend.
2: Well, Joe, let you talk about the offense. (laughs)
3: Uh, It honestly sounded like you were talking about the Notre Dame offense for most of that (laughs) summary. Um, Look, I I don't even know where to begin. I guess it'd be good to start at the quarterback position, but we don't even know at the time of this recording who the starter is going to be. We presume it's going to be sophomore Drew Pine, um, the pride of New Cannon, Connecticut. He's 5'11", maybe, um, and has yet to start a game in Notre Dame uniform, but he came in last week, led the only two offensive scoring drives, and uh, came in in relief for Jack Cohn against Wisconsin. He's um, really well liked on the team. Guys rave about him. He's very confident. I believe Pete Samson from the Athletic described him as a poor man's Ian Book, and I think that observation is astute. Uh, and I'm a we are huge Ian Book guys, but Pine doesn't really have the quite the running game that Book had, and um, we'll just see. Uh, we also have Tyler Buckner, who's our five star true freshman. He's um, there's a lot of pressure on him in the long term to be sort of the quarterback that gets Notre Dame over the hump. But lately, he's been more of a package player. So I don't really know what Notre Dame is going to do at the quarterback position. We'll wait and see. It seems like they're going to just pick a guy and stick with him. And, and all signs point to that being Pine. But we'll see at the running back position. Notre Dame probably has the best running back duo in college football, led by um, preseason All American Kyron Williams and then five star Chris Tyree. Uh, Unfortunately, they can't run the ball because our offensive line is maybe, yeah, they're horrible. That's putting it nicely. They're probably the worst group in the Brian Kelly era, and it's even more shocking when you consider the fact that the offensive line has been literally the backbone of the entire program, um, especially over the past five years. We pump out NFL players. We had three drafted last year. A fourth got signed, and this year, I, I don't even know where to, like, I could go on and on. I have gone on and on, but to put it into perspective, I think one good example is last week, a true freshman converted tight end played the entire second half at left at left tackle. So I think that sort of um, explains where we're at on the offensive line. Uh, But Luke, if you want to add any more, feel free. Is
1: is Jeff Quinn, uh, he's your, he's the offensive line coach. Is that the former Falcons
2: coach that's now you're coaching your offensive line? No, that's, I believe that's Dan Quinn. Jeff Quinn has, if you ask fans around the program, he's a lifelong friend of, or not lifelong, pretty much lifelong friend of Brian Kelly. And um, some fans will tell you that that's why he hasn't been relieved of his duties yet. Uh, that said, he did turn out a, a group last year that almost won the Joe Moore award and probably what if Alabama didn't exist. So he certainly struggled this year to to develop guys to date and it's, it's trouble it's troubling to see. I don't know how they're going to get better through the course of this season. It seems like this is just kind of what they are, but they struggle. Um, you know, I guess adding on to that, the quarterback position. Woj talked about Drew Pine a little bit. Until two weeks ago, his big claim to fame was when he came into the Alabama game last year when Ian Book got hurt for two plays and. Somebody tweeted about it, and I think the biggest reply that got all the retweets and likes was going to be a great story to tell his colleagues in Deloitte someday. So we've called him, like, the Deloitte consult for the longest time. Now he's probably our starting quarterback. So that's great. Um, that's really enjoyable stuff. And, and like he mentioned, it's been tough sledding for Kyron and Chris Tyree this year, who I believe is from Virginia. So I'm sure he's excited to get back to his home state and play. Um, we'll see how many opportunities he gets on Saturday. I'm hopeful that offensive coordinator Tommy Reeves rebounds from a pretty confusing performance last week, probably one of his worst called games in the two years. He's he's been at the helm. I think he's done a pretty good job last week was not that week, but we'll see how he bounces back. I'm, I'm hoping he gets those two guys, Williams and Tyree involved in some some quick hitters early to, to kind of get them into space. Cause they can make plays. And, you know, outside of that, Michael Mayer is probably our, our best weapon on offense. He's the tight end. I think his, receptions double anyone else on the roster. He is a little bit banged up right now with the groin injury. That's been nagging him all season. I don't know what his status is going to be Saturday. And and frankly, anything Brian Kelly says about an injury during the season, you got to take with a a bag of salt, not not a grain, a bag, because pretty much anytime he's said something about an injury, it's been much more severe than initially let on. I do expect him to play, but I don't know at what percentage. Um, And,
3: so one quick example of that, after the season opener, our left tackle, Blake Fisher, um, Brian Kelly said we avoided anything uh, too serious, and he's out for the season.
4: Are you guys so, – yeah.
1: I got to say, there are so many parallels. <laughs> <laughs> There's, our, co- our head coach said that our star tight end was probably good to go. He's torn his ACL. He's out for the season. We have a coach that is really good friends with our head coach who people are really frustrated with. I mean, there are the parallels – I just out the wazoo here in the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech
2: matchup. Um, yeah. 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 It's uh, – it's, I think maybe that's just college football in general, but it certainly seems to be pervasive throughout the two fan bases. I, I can't argue with that. Um, we'll see. I mean, I guess the underlying thing is that both of our offenses have struggled mightily. The two guys I probably haven't mentioned that could play, you know, big roles on Saturday are some of the receivers we have. Kevin Austin – is the number one option he was completely locked up by sauce gardner of cincinnati last week and really didn't make a dent on the game we also have braden lenzie as a deep threat, and then avery davis in the slot who's had some nice games this year but it's been a lot of it's been slower in the sense that our quarterbacks don't have time to get rid of the ball and get it to them so we'll see how tommy Reese schemes around getting quick hitters out there but we, we haven't really succeeded a lot in that sense this year it's kind of just been a chuck a bomb and hope somebody comes down with it. And if not, we're probably not going to move the ball.
1: A couple, couple things that I just wanted to hit on. Um, and I guess ask you about, or kind of talk at you about, um, one of the things that I found was crazy is that you have played four different left tackles this year. Uh, two of them true freshmen and the other two are sophomores. So you guys have been doing all sorts of different stuff up front. I think some of the things to keep in mind here, um, And this is one of the things that I really learned last year because I was I was kind of half in half out on Ian Book. And I've gone from being half in half out on Ian Book to thinking this guy deserves to have his number retired. I mean, what he was able to accomplish at Notre Dame over his time there uh, and the consistency that he brought to that quarterback position was a huge luxury um, and a luxury that Hokie fans haven't really been able to have uh as a quarterback at the helm learning developing and leading the team for longer than 18 25 24 months um so i think i think that's definitely something to look at as you mentioned kyron williams i mean kyron williams he's elite michael mayer is also elite uh you're right most catches on a team by two times 32 catches 360 yards um he's incredible i know he's banged up uh with his groin obviously but um yeah, I guess my only question for you guys on your offense is, is there a specific quarterback you feel more comfortable with? Uh, do you think that the offense changes significantly with a different quarterback? What What would be your preference in who you roll out there this week?
2: It's a good question. Um, I, I don't feel particularly comfortable with any of them. Um, but uh, that said, I think it's probably got to be Drew Pine. The issue that Notre Dame has right now is you have Jack Cohn, who obviously started a ton of games in Wisconsin, went to a Rose Bowl, coming off an injury, and he's been more immobile than I ever could have imagined. And I think a lot of that distills down to the fact that he's not a fit for what this offense is trying to do. You also have Tyler Buckner, the freshman, who's one-dimensional in the sense that he's really just being relegated to a wildcat package. Drew Pine is the only guy who is two-dimensional right now. He can throw the ball and he can be mobile a little bit. He's like Woj said, somewhat of a poor man's Ian Book. And my thought is that that could help this offensive line somewhat. Um, They're used to playing for a quarterback like Book, who moves around a little bit more in the pocket can make some plays. And I think it's not that he is, you know, a great quarterback and they're going to start lighting scoreboard up as soon as he gets in. But two aspects that have been undoubtedly true is that when he has come in this year, there's been more of a fire to that offense. It seems like it's lit a spark and, and he just more fits his skill set. The skill set more fits what they're trying to do. So I would be surprised if Drew Pine isn't the starter on Saturday night. That said, I don't expect us to know that until Notre Dame trots out for his first offensive drive because Brian Kelly, it's like he's you know hiding the lost arc or something. So I, I don't think that that's going to come out. But I, I expect it to be Drew Pine, and, and I'm hopeful that it will be with some Tyler Buckner
3: mixed in. Yeah, I feel pretty much the same way. I, I don't feel extremely confident in Pine. Again, it's been a limited sample size. I think there's a reason that Cone was the clear QB1 going into the season. Now, obviously, that's what Cone is doing in practice, and that's opposed to what he's doing on Saturday. And obviously, with this line, Cone is basically a statue in the pocket. And um, Brian Kelly has, has been adamant about pointing out the times in which the quarterback is responsible for the sack. So I think it's got to be Pine. And if nothing else, we'll at least get a, a decent enough sample size to see what Pine is made of. He's really confident. He's a bit of a gunslinger. Um, Just doesn't put a whole lot of touch on the ball, though. I guess he did throw a deep touchdown to Brayden Lindsey last week, but at, we'll see. You know, I mean, Buckner is supposed to be the guy for the future. But in the Brian Kelly era, it's been this weird trend, I guess you could say, where the guy who all the fans and all the projections suggest would be the star or would be the guy to lead the team Um, usually ends up not being the case. I mean, Ian book was like a low rated three star and he's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. At one point, Malik Zaire was supposed to be the guy that could get Notre Dame to the playoff. And then it ended up being Deshaun Kaiser, who nearly quit football at one point because he was so low on the depth chart. So who really knows, I guess in a way it would be poetic. If pine ended up being the guy, but I don't really know. I guess we'll see like Luke said on the first drive on Saturday,
1: any other points or questions regarding either team's offense from anybody.
0: I'll, uh, you know, I'll, uh,
2: go, go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I, uh, in in y'all's opinion, I'm just kind of curious. Has has Michael Mayer had an underwhelming season? Uh, and, and what's the what's the deal with his injury? Like what is he gonna play on Saturday? What is what does that look like? Because to be completely honest, that man terrifies me. <laughs> and then where did you get <laughs> where then where did you yeah. get underwhelming season from? Because that guy might be the best tight end in college football. Well, I just I feel like I feel like I haven't heard too much about him this season. This mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he had a huge season last year, but like I just I don't know. I know he was banged up. Uh and and so I'm just kind of curious y'all's y'all's thoughts. Is he supposed to play Saturday? Yeah, it's uh so I think he's had I think he's had a good
2: season. There have been a couple games where teams have taken him away, and that's been fine because then Notre Dame has just deferred to Kevin Austin or Braden Lindsey. That said, on Saturday, he was pretty much the only player on the field that could get open for Notre Dame. He had eight catches for 90-something yards. The opener against Florida State, he was dominant as well, despite a couple drops. Uh, he's just a mountain of a man, and he's, you forget that he's 19 years old, which is kind of the scary part of it all. He's 19 years old? Oh he's a sophomore. Yeah, hes he is incredible. And uh, the way he plays the game, I mean – I. Pretty unique vantage point on Saturday at the Cincinnati game. I was right behind the Notre Dame bench, and every time I walked, watched him after a play, he could not walk. He was just limping over to the sideline. But then you'd see him get out there and just make perfect cuts and get wide open. I don't know how he was channeling that. They asked him in his, in his post game presser, which was also very comical for Notre Dame fans because he pretty much wore his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, at one point, a reporter asked him what the mood is in the locker room. And he just looked at the guy and said, I don't know. Probably not pretty good. We did just lose. Um, He he just kind of is one of those old school players. He doesn't put up with anything and he, and he lets you hear about it. And he said, I'll be good to go. Um, I'll just get training this week and then we'll be good to go. But he's definitely, I mean, he could not walk. I I don't know if you have anything else to add, Loach. but I was just, I've been so impressed with his toughness. And frankly, I said this last year against Alabama, he was one of like three players we had that I felt actually belonged on the field. That at the skill position and then the same was true on saturday in cincinnati he was the guy that showed up
3: yeah he's one tough sob he's i think a perfect example of the whole thing was fourth and five under four minutes to go notre dame's cling to like any last bit of life they have um he trots out in the slot and sort of waddles his way over lines up runs a perfect out route quick catches the ball gets a ball across the sticks and then you could just tell like his legs just gave out. And it's a, it's a groin injury. And it's been nagging him since camp. Apparently he said, he tweaked it pretty bad against Cincinnati. Um, I mean, I, I've had a groin injury in the past and I struggled walking around my house. Obviously I'm probably half the man that Michael Mayer is despite being like six years older than him. So I don't know, I guess we'll see on Saturday.
1: Tyler, do you have a question about a uh, Tex offense or Luke, or you want to move over to defense?
2: Yeah, you know, I do have a question because I recall, you know, early or maybe in the offseason seeing a lot about Braxton Burmeister and kind of what expectations were for him. I know that there were some some high hopes from the Hokie fan base came over from Oregon and seemed like he'd finally got his legs underneath him this this offseason and was really due for, for a breakout year. And so for people like us who obviously don't watch every Virginia Tech game, how would you assess his performance to date, you know, maybe what has he been good at? And and where is there maybe some, uh, some desire for improvement?
4: Pat, you want to start or you want me to go? Yeah, I can go ahead here. Um, Braxton Burmeister has potential that to a lot of Hokie fans probably has not been unleashed yet. Um, he's made some, he's had some good games. He's made some good decisions. He's made some fantastic plays. Um, but he's also, you know, been limited in some games just by his, um, you know, by some of the decisions that he has made super mobile. um, But we haven't really ran him that much just because behind Braxton Burmeister, we have Knox Kadem who has, you know, a half of college football experience and, you know, didn't have any other P five offers Connor Blumrick, who is a wildcat style quarterback. And then Taj Bullock, who is a true freshman, So, you know, if we wanted to go, um, you know, a little more liberal with Braxton Burmeister, we would run him a lot and we ran him a little bit, uh, early last year, he ended up getting hurt. Um, but as far as Burmeister's performance so far, like a lot of, um, a lot of horizontal passing, like a lot of screens, you'll see a lot of, um, you know, dump offs, um, some wheel routes here and there, but not necessarily uh, has connected on the deep ball that many times this year so far. Um, I'll it, wait. It's been I mean, frustrated I think- as, as, as a tech fan, it's been frustrating because we know he's not going to turn the ball over. We know he's going to manage the game pretty well, um, but we all think and hope that there's some untapped potential that the coaching staff has been raving about. And the players on the team have been raving about that. We just have not seen click yet. Um that that's kind of the the thirty thousand foot view so far,
1: yeah, i would I would agree with you. I think, um you know a lot of it goes into seeing how successful Hendon Hooker has been at Tennessee these last couple of weeks, um formerly at Virginia Tech, and he balled out last week and has balled out ever since he took over late in that Tennessee um, Tennessee Pittsburgh game. I think when I look at Braxton Burmeister, I see a guy who has all of the tools. I think he, uh, I think he's smart with the football. I think he's extremely fast. Uh, I think that he has shown that he can make some special throws, but we haven't seen it consistently. That's been the issue. Um, it's a little bit of a combination of early in the season, receivers were not getting open, and then a little bit later on in the season, you know, these last two games, um, you see wide receivers wide open that are not getting looked at. Um, so we're kind of waiting for him to put together a complete football game. Uh, and I think this is probably going to be the first time that we're really going to see, um, him being trusted to do more. Uh, I don't know when else we'd be able to do it. We've had two weeks to prepare. We tried a bunch of different things against Richmond. Um, we saw a little bit of creativity against West Virginia as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is this season is not going to go well for Virginia Tech. If we continue at the offensive um lack of prowess that we have shown uh this season uh we have talented wide receivers um and um yeah i think it's just been a real real inconsistent uh inconsistent start for him and this is a huge game obviously being at home and uh we'll have it turned loose a little bit here
4: yeah freak athlete one of the best athletes on the field um ton of potential just haven't really seen that complete game yet. So we're just as excited as you guys probably are to see what Braxton can do on Friday or Saturday. Moving so on. You
2: brought up. Go ahead. I, I got one question for you. You brought up yeah. the receivers. Is Trey Turner in like his 12th year of Virginia Tech? I am shocked <laughs> to see he's still on the roster.
1: Trey Turner's first his first uh, first time we saw Trey Turner was against Florida State in and 18, eighteen. eighteen Okay, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's been there. He's been there for a good bit. Uh, he dealt with a lot of injury, uh, last year he was talking about ability. He had a, uh, he had a hernia last year and he had some, uh, some foot problems last year. Um, I think the biggest thing for him, and we talked about this on some of our preseason podcasts was through speaking to him and speaking with coaches. This was his first real healthy off season. Uh, one of the biggest, um, bones that people would pick is his lack of putting on size I believe he put on close to 10 or 15 pounds this off season, um, which has kind of been the one thing that's held him back. Um, so that was a huge, huge deal for him. And then another guy to watch out for is Tavion Robinson. He's a guy that's, uh, you know, started playing very early in this program. Uh, has come a long way in the special teams game on punt return, um, but he's definitely kind of that second option uh, for Braxton Burmeister. And then you look at Caleb Smith, Raheem Blackshear, um, and then, that's uh,
4: that's what we got. Uh, not and a ton of depth. Yeah. Some young players that have gotten a lot more reps in practice over the last week or two uh, with the bye week. Hopefully, we can see them uh, con- uh, make some contributions here this weekend. And then, just to to go toe to toe with your Michael Mayer, we do have our own Michael Mayer. His name is James Mitchell. He is out for the year, uh, and we miss him dearly. But um, James Mitchell is you know a top three tight end in the ACC and. Uh, you know, ACL injury after the Middle Tennessee State game uh, sidelined, him, fought, sidelined him for the year. But um, we miss him dearly. Shout out to the governor.
0: Luke, I would say that Trey Turner is to Virginia Tech what Hunter Renfro was to Clemson. It feels like that man has been on yeah. the roster for 12 years. Uh, I, I, I totally resonate with that, but we love him in Blacksburg and And Kenny Pickett Pickett too. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, he actually may have been in Pittsburgh for 12 years
2: for all I know. (laughs) That, that could be true. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Moving on to the defense.
1: Um, I think if you are a football lifer and you are a fan of hard nosed defensive battles, I think that is exactly what we, in store from i think these last 25 minutes have come off as a little melancholy i think uh, everybody on this podcast is going to be pretty fired up to talk about their defense so we'll start with notre dame
3: yeah i mean in a lot of ways you could argue that notre dame's best offense is in fact their defense we saw that against wisconsin a little bit they scored on two pick sixes but then again, that was against Graham Mertz, who at the, at the moment I'm not sure if he could start for some Division three high school teams these days. But anyway, uh, the defense has been the lone bright spot in the team as of late. They took some bumps in the first two games uh, as they got acclimated to new defensive coordinator Mike Marcus Freeman's uh, far more aggressive defense. But they've improved significantly since the Toledo game. Um, and let's just start with the uh, the obvious. Uh, Notre Dame has Kyle Hamilton. So whenever Notre Dame's defense takes the field, they have the best player on the field. Uh, Mel Kuyper had him at his number two overall ranked player in his last mock draft. He's 6'4", 220. He's a freak athlete. Notre Dame puts him all over the field. He already has three picks this season, despite the fact that opposing offenses avoid him mostly at all costs. Um, So Burmeister's going to have to locate him before every snap. And if he does try to test him, he better be pinpoint accurate um, or else Hamilton is probably going to make him pay. The entire defense runs through him in a lot of ways. Um, he actually is able to erase some of the deficiencies in the Notre Dame secondary as a as a unit. They're certainly not elite. Um, junior cornerback Cam Hart has really come on lately. Um, but on the other end, Clarence Lewis and the CPA. Yeah, Clarence Lewis, CPA. He's also an accountant because I mean, uh, most teams don't have a cornerback named Clarence, but Again, a discussion for another time um, and Houston Griffith is the safety next to Hamilton. They've both been exposed at um, multiple points this season and especially last week against Cincinnati at linebacker. Notre Dame's got J.D. Bertrand, uh, number 27. He's, he's been Notre Dame's best all season. He's not perfect by any, uh, by any means. He's, um, he struggles in coverage sometimes, uh, but he's an elite tackler, great in run support. Freeman likes to rotate a lot of guys in the defense, but Bertrand rarely comes off the field. And then on the D-line, that's probably, probably as a collective unit, Notre Dame's biggest strength in the entire roster. They rotate up to eight guys, which seems like a lot, but they're all effective. They just keep coming in, um, provide sparks. But the two main guys you should look out for, Isaiah Foskey and... He's number seven on the edge. He's developing into an NFL-type talent this year. Um, he caused a huge sack fumble on Desmond Ritter last week that was sort of sparked Notre Dame's second-half rally. And then on the other end, Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa, that's actually Tua's cousin. He's a beast. He can play inside, outside, wherever they put him. Those two guys lead the way. I know Virginia Tech. We've talked about it. They've been shuffling a lot on the offensive line, so I expect Notre Dame to have some success there. And really, in the secondary, it's just about – avoiding the big play. They have been a little bit susceptible to that early in the season. We saw that again, um, a little against Cincinnati, but um, that's that's the main thing with this Notre Dame defense.
1: Flipping over to Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech's defense currently is opponents are averaging 15.25 points per game, which is the best under the Coach Fuente era that we have seen since that historic 2017 defense. Um, in terms of the guys to watch out for, Amari Barno is an extremely, extremely talented football player. He had three and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks versus North Carolina. That was just the first game of the season. Um, I thought he was going to ha- have 15 sacks after that first game of the season. Since then, he's had four tackles. Uh, he's kind of disappeared since then. Um, our most consistent players on the team have probably been on our linebacker side of things. Leading tacklers are both Dax Halfield and Allen Tisdale. And also in the secondary, Jermaine Waller is arguably the best NFL talent that there is on the roster. He has three interceptions. He got a lot, a lot of attention in the preseason of last year, Um, even with having Caleb Farley on that roster before the season started. He was a little nicked up. He is healthy through the first three games. He had three interceptions. Um, He has been absolutely phenomenal this football season. Um, And that's pretty much the lowdown in our defense. We don't have a ton of folks up front, uh, Mario Kendricks is starting. Jordan Williams was a transfer from Clemson, from the Virginia area. He's transferred in and kind of bolstered that front. Um, Taiwan guard, but he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then backing them up, we have Eli Adams, Josh Fuga, Norell Pollard, and Jalen Griffin. Um, and it's been a, uh, it's 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 been great. This has been a defense that flies around. It's a defense that makes it happen. Um, we've given up on the entire season. 61 points and 40% of those points came from the first half of the West Virginia game. And that was really the only time that um, our defense really looked like they were on their heels, 24 points in the first half versus West Virginia. Um, but coach Hamilton since taking over has done a phenomenal job. If I had to say the area that I'm really, really honing in on and watching this football game, it's our defensive ends. Um, you look at Notre Dame who struggled in the past protection game, Uh, Taiwan Garbutt, again, one of the most consistent players in the game. His best game of the year was also North Carolina. We had five tackles and two sacks and a forced fumble. And then Amari Barno, Amari Barno is a NFL freak looking defensive end. He absolutely has the talent to do it. Um, so winning this football game is going to have a lot to do with us being able to pressure the quarterback. So I'm going to be watching our defensive ends and hoping that they can get something going here uh, this
2: week.
4: Yeah. Bill, to your point, um, I don't see too many issues coming out of the uh, the defensive backs uh, against Notre Dame. If there's rain in the forecast, which there is right now, um, I think Virginia Tech's linebacking core is going to need to play a very, very strong game um, both against the run and in coverage. If Michael Mayer is good to go, uh, we're going to need to be all over that guy because he <laughs> seems a little bit dangerous, but yeah, Dax, Hollifield, Allen Tisdale uh, have made significant strides from last year. Um, you know, both in um in run support and in coverage. Also have two guys, Dean Ferguson and Keyshawn Artis, who have uh supported in the linebacker room. Um, so as far as defense goes, not too many weaknesses on this Virginia tech defense aside from, you know, one bad half against West Virginia, um, and then just not the deepest unit on the defensive line. But if drew pine can move around and, and create plays and extend plays with his legs, um, you know, I'm interested to see how we can contain the run, uh, because Virginia tech defense over the past, you know, five to 10 years have, have struggled with mobile quarterbacks as well. That's how Ian book was able to, uh, you know, engineer that drive in 2019 at the end of the game because she was able to extend plays. So we'll see, but uh, the rain, I think will have a factor as far as you know how this Virginia tech defense uh, is able to react to the Notre Dame uh, passing and run attack.
1: I would say just on that note, uh, and then Grace, I know you have a point. Um, I, I am interested to see if there is a difference between a Justin Hamilton coach team versus a running quarterback um, and a Bud Foster coach team versus a running quarterback. A lot was made of, um, of Sam Howell's ability to make plays with his feet. Uh, We kept him pretty much in check uh, that entire football game. I've said it all year, regardless of what you think about North Carolina, uh, I don't think there's going to be another team in America that's going to hold that offense to 10 points. You've seen what Josh Downs and the rest of that offense has been able to do as they've just gotten better and better. Um, But this, to me, excluding last year when we didn't have a full offseason, is the first time that we're going to see Justin Hamilton versus potentially a, a little bit of a mobile quarterback. Um, so I'm interested to see what he rolls out there and what he's able to do.
0: I know Tyler alluded to this, but, I mean, Kyle Hamilton's a ball hawk. I mean, that kid is an absolute freak of an athlete. I, I, I'll i conclude this before we move into special teams, y'all. I think this game is going to be a game of turnovers. I think the rain is going to be a huge factor, and whoever wins the turnover battles is going to win the game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I think both of these defenses are going to force – a lot of turnovers. The ball will be all over the field. Uh, and we haven't, you know, had a, a rain game, like a downpour rain game. And cheese in Lane Stadium, I couldn't tell you the last time. It, Pittsburgh. I'm yeah. cool if that doesn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, <yeah. laughs> I, I mean, doesn't have uh, a great recent history in uh Monsoon. I don't rain games. History in monsoon <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, Luke, I'm sorry, man. I, I know you're going to be there on Saturday for for the rain, so bring your poncho, dude. But I, I, again, just I think it's going to be a big part of the ball game on Saturday. Uh, we can move into special teams.
1: Yeah, real um, quick, just uh, in terms of questions that you guys may have for us. The only question I have for you is: I think if you look at our defense, right, and the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous. um, Man, it's been it's become like the rain podcast. But uh given all of this rain, um I my only worry is I think the front seven this year has been phenomenal. Um, but we haven't really been in a position where we've had to play a ton of guys. Uh an injury here or an injury there, or a twisted ankle here, a twisted ankle there um could be a huge issue for this team. Uh, my biggest issue with the defense in general is just depth. That's the only thing that really freaks me out. Is there anything about The Notre Dame defense that gives you
2: pause or something that's been a challenge this year? I mean, they really kind of have settled into their own the last few weeks. There were a couple of lapses against Cincinnati that really, I think, ultimately were just great play calls from Mike Denbrock, their offensive coordinator, our old offensive coordinator. So they've had a little bit extra rolled up his sleeve for that one. But susceptibility to the big play is surely you know kind of a bit of a, of a concern. I think they've gotten much better in shoring that up. but that's probably the one thing I would say. Um, you know, Kyle Hamilton thankfully can erase a lot of those things. He did also have an incident or an incident last week where he was blatantly held and as he announced on his podcast this week that he has, the ref told him, uh, I'm not calling. Wait, I think the exact quote was, you're an All-American. I shouldn't have to call holding on you. So uh, he's already getting that sort of treatment from the refs, which you would think would be the other way around. So uh, that's kind of caught some some fire on Notre Dame social media this past weekend. I don't know how that ref gets away with that, but I just wanted to throw that out there because that's kind of what they're resorting to at this point in order to stop that guy. Uh, but that's kind of just, I guess, what I would say, susceptibility to the big play is what concerns me. Um, you know, I'm looking at your guys' roster. I gotta say Dean Ferguson and Alan Tisdale sound like Supreme Court justices, not linebackers, but oh. sounds like they're pretty darn good. Uh so I'm excited to see the matchup. When you when Grayson started talking about the ball splashing all over the field, I started getting flashbacks to the Notre Dame NC state game in 2016, which was not a football game at all. I think the final was like six to three and there were probably was that
1: the hurricane week too. Was that? Yes. One? It, it should yes. have been canceled. North Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. yeah
2: I, I think there were like nine fumbles. It was disgusting. Uh, and Brian Kelly threw the ball 40 times in hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: we'll uh, see.
1: Any questions from you guys about, uh, about the tech defense?
3: Yes. So it seems like they're a little bit susceptible to a strong running game, which we, as we've said, we don't have, Um, but we do have good running backs. Is there anything like if, if it does get into a situation where teams are just trying to run at each other, um, what has it been? Is is it been like the interior D line or the linebackers? Like who's been sort of giving it up um, on the rushing attack or the opposing rushing attack, I should say.
1: Yeah. So opponents have been averaging 140.8 yards uh, against us rushing. Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, this is the first time, a, a big cha- a big problem that I've had with Virginia Tech defenses in the past is that Shamari Connor, who is our safety and still our safety now, has been the leading tackler. Um, and you don't want your third-level defender leading your team in tackles ever. Uh, and that was happening year after year after year. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge. Um, but this year, we've really tightened it up to the point where Dax Halfield, who had been playing – out of position is finally playing in position at that Mike linebacker position. Alan Tisdale is being able to display his speed and athleticism uh, and covering more distance where Dax is clogging up holes and making plays. Um, So I can't really, I can't really tell you. It feels like, it feels like that huge explosive, like, just like just outpouring of what the hell is going on was that entire first half against West Virginia. Um, And then if you kind of look at this game versus middle Tennessee and this game versus Richmond, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really learn a ton about our football team in those two football games. The Richmond game seemed like a big snooze fest that undoubtedly we were going to leave the game being pretty disappointed unless we won at 60 or 70 to nothing. Um, And then against middle Tennessee um, again, kind of a, a little bit of a snooze fest. You score 34 points. It is what it is. Um, but I feel good about our front seven. But again, I think it's it gets down to when you're rotating guys and you get to that second or I don't even think we have a third level of guys that are able to contribute consistently. Um, that that is my biggest worry is if you guys are having 15, 20 play drives. Uh, some of those longer drives, very similar to what you had in 2019, um, where you kind of just march down the field and we're having to burn through different guys and rotate. We're just not able to do that we're, we're just unable to to do that for long periods of time and really haven't been challenged to do so
2: well the good news is i don't think we've had a drive longer than uh, nine plays this year i can't recall one I, I really can't we uh we're not what we have been in years past so for your sake that's probably a good thing because we can't churn out those just clock churning yard churning drives anymore so be thankful that uh, our identity is not quite what it has been the last few years. So moving right along to special
1: teams, um, to be honest, Virginia tech, Notre Dame, uh, aside from one side of the special teams coin uh, are pretty damn good. Uh, if you go ahead and you look at uh, you look at Notre, uh, you look at the kick return teams, Virginia tech's actually second in uh, kick return yards per return in America with 42.35 yards per return which is a pretty staggering statistic. Shout out to that. Uh, Notre Dame is right there at 13th in the country with 29.78 yards per return. Uh, you move it over to punt return. Virginia tech is in the top 20 at 17 with 15 yards per return. Notre Dame 72nd at 6.88 punting. Our guy, Mr. Moore has been absolutely phenomenal. He is 22nd in the country in net punting Notre Dame 40th at 41.8, It's 41.28. But The frustration for both teams, I believe, lies on the field goal unit, which is so frustrating because if this is a rainy game and points are going to come to a premium, guys are going to have to trot out there and put the ball through the goalposts. And just in terms of the numbers, John Parker Romo is 33.33% on field goals. Um, He hit a... And not great. He hit a 48 yard field goal against North Carolina. It was the first field goal that he kicked all season. And we're high five and we're saying, oh man, we're three for three on kickers that are super, uh, super awesome and above the status quo. Um, but since he hasn't, he A hasn't had a lot of attempts and B has not made a ton of them. Uh, most memorably, the one against West Virginia on about the five yard line, which we missed uh, going right into halftime, which was an absolute soul crusher. Um, but I will let you guys take it over on Mr. Do rare. <laughs> I, yeah.
3: Uh, after the first game, I, he, uh, when he kicked the game winning field goal against Florida state, um, we started to call it the John door revenge tour because he ended last season in pretty pathetic fashion. It, it was weird. He had a great start to the season was instrumental in Notre Dame beating Clemson. And then just, I don't know, fell off the wagon. And then this year kicks a huge game winner. Um, and then, now we've just called it the John Dor experience because basically if there's like a 35 yard field goal, you know, when there's no wind, perfectly sunny day, he's probably going to shank it so badly in the crowd. You question if he's ever even kicked before, but yeah. if it's like 52 wind in his face, maybe a little rain nails, he'll hit it right down the middle. Last week, Notre Dame has this touchdown to cut the 17 point. What was once a 17 point deficit, 17, 13, everyone's riding high things are going great Thor misses an extra point. Like it just perfectly summarizes what it's like having him as your kicker. Um, that's really the main thing I've I'll add. Jay Bramblett is a really solid punter for, unfortunately we've had to use him a lot more and he's been way instrumental in our success than we, any team would hope for in their punter. Um, and then yeah, Tyree had a huge kickoff return that changed the game against Wisconsin. And then last week was trying to make a play and unfortunately led to a fumble that, um, Almost cause. Yeah. It led to points. So I don't know. It's a little bit of a mixed bag with Notre Dame special teams.
2: Yeah. I'll just chime in here. John Dorr is probably the most frustrating kicker in America. Like what said, I will say that extra point he missed last week was his first missed extra point, like 128 extra point attempts, which is surprising to me, but basically field goal is like from like, you know, 30 and in it's, he's going to shake it, but 40 plus he's nails. So go figure. Like you said, Jay Bramblin, elite punter, and we got him from Tuscaloosa. So that's the biggest recruit we've ever gotten out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, over the tide. But uh, the the kick return numbers are kind of interesting to me because I know Chris Tyree obviously housed that one against Wisconsin, but Notre Dame fair caught every kickoff for the first two games. They did not attempt to return one, which I didn't understand why. So obviously that, that return helps a lot getting the average up, but they just simply have not taken a lot of kicks back and, the two that they have are memorable for various reasons, but um, they just have not returned a lot of kicks period this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, John Parker Romo, our, our place kicker, we, we love him here at the sons of Saturday VT. This season has been tough uh, for, for JPR. Uh, he's a phenomenal, you know, when, when he's kicking it to Christiansburg on the kick opening kickoff, he pretty, he pretty much puts it in the back of the end zone every single time. He's, he's great at getting touchbacks, but I mean the, the the kick that he missed against West Virginia, uh, the kick that he missed against UNC. I mean, I'll put it this way: if this game comes down to having JPR kick a field goal, I'm not too confident, especially with the rain. If the ball placement isn't right, uh, that's definitely been a struggle uh, on on special teams. Peter Moore, our punter, has been quite literally kicking ass. Uh, and 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 ab- just kicks absolute moonshot punts, like puts a tight spiral on it. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, but I, I just I worry about our our field goal unit. Well after the uh, the Notre Dame game, Pat, anything to add there? Billy Ray, anything to add there? Uh, for, as far as the return
4: game goes, if Brian Kelly is a smart man, he is kicking it away from Sweet Feed Tay Tavian Robinson, who actually housed his first Virginia Tech uh, punt return as a Hokie last weekend uh, against Richmond. We knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when, and uh, we think he's going to find the house again this year. Be nice if it was on Saturday, but um, between Tavion Robinson taking punts, and then Raheem Blackshear and Keyshawn King, who are both uh, very much a threat in the kick return game as well. Both of them have kick returns this year, over 50 yards. So yeah, um, yeah, you know, we're we're sound in the return game. We are not sounding the kicking game. I would say, Pat, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna zag you here. And honestly, I
1: if I just took 2021 in a vacuum, there's no reason for me to believe this. But if it's going to be raining, I just have PTSD. I don't want any punt returner touching the football. Uh, I just I, I really do not. Um, but smart um, man, Billy Ray. Yeah, I think that Four I think man. that basically goes for both teams. Um, early in Tavion Robinson's career, he did have some fielding, uh, fielding punt issues. Uh, he's gotten them ironed out again. He's given us no reason in 2021 to believe that he doesn't have that figured out. He's had multiple difficult ones where he's been bumped into. He's had very close prox- people in very close proximity or having to run up and get it. Um, I'm just, as long as he, as long as anyone other than Greg Stroman is returning punts for Virginia tech, which will be for the rest of my time as a fan, I'm going
0: to be holding my breath as the ball is in the air. So that's how I feel about it. And if it's going inside the 10, get the hell away from it or let it bounce. Let the tootsie roll into the end zone.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just watching the 2019 highlights from the Notre dame Virginia Tech game, and I had completely forgotten that we caught a kickoff at our one-yard line, and they said momentum took us back into the end zone, so they placed the ball at the one-yard line. That 100 should have been a safety, and I yeah, remember thinking been the time, been a safe, why, right? <laughs> why did he catch? Why did he catch that ball? Like I, that, Lawrence Keys has since left the program. He quit the team after game one this year, but I had completely forgotten about that play, and I remember being furious at the moment because the way the ref delivers it too is after review, it was determined that the runner caught the ball at the one yard line, and he a safety," and then he says, "But momentum took him in." I don't know how that was the ruling on that. On that play uh, I guess I'm grateful it was but wow that uh maybe we just don't let an enemy touch the ball and kick off some pumpker Saturday
1: let's just uh let's completely uh let's do away with uh with with the kicking all day um yeah. start on the 20 take it away um yeah that was great I enjoyed that uh so there's kind of a rundown on all uh, on all sides of the ball. Uh, we're going to go ahead and transition into mismatches. Um, any place where you guys feel really confident about your guys or we feel real confident about our guys, I'll kick it off um, with a pun. Um, is Notre Dame's front five good? Notre not, as long as the statistics are saying, Pat, that was good. Don't even act like it wasn't. No not. Notre
4: you're you're going to have the entire listener being like, what did he just say? No not. Notre Dame, Notre not. No comment from the Notre Dame Irish
1: (laughs) (laughs) Guns. The one place that, you know, I can really hang my hat on, I think, uh, this year through looking at it is Notre Dame's front five versus our front seven. Uh, Our front seven has been really solid this year. And Notre Dame, they are ranked in the 120s in 2.5 yards per rush at about 80.8 rushing yards per game. And they are ranked 128th. In sacks surrendered with 23 sacks with a loss of 127 yards. That goes for four and a half sacks surrendered per game. The team that is one spot better than Notre Dame is Stacy Searles and North Carolina um and they have just had an absolute disaster up front little bit of a different situation with notre dame again notre dame is in a position where they're replacing a lot of guys trying a lot of different things north carolina has a bunch of seniors that just are not good um so that is the one place that i feel really good at uh is our front five versus our front seven versus the notre dame front seven
4: the notre
2: dame front five
4: <laughs> virginia yeah. Tech did sack uh sack carolina six times we haven't had a big-time uh, big sack-a-thon uh, in a while. so It might come Saturday. Um, I, I, I think until
2: Saturday we had not had a game where we had let up less than four or five sacks. We only let up two in Cincinnati, but I go back to the Purdue game, George Karloftis, the All-American, hadn't had a snack sack yet. He had one and a half against us. I think Purdue had five as a team. Uh, it's pretty much jailbreak. Maybe Drew Pine back there will change things a little bit. But uh, I would feel confident in that matchup if I were you, too. So when you – you were mentioning that Brian
1: Kelly said a lot that is some of the sacks were on the quarterback. Do you – as you watch it as, as the as the observer, is it usually the quarterback holding the ball too long or is it straight jailbreak against uh, – because against West Virginia where we had our, our worst game against the front five, if you went through the sacks, I mean, they were rushing four guys and they were getting to the quarterback. So I'm curious, is it, is it unique blitz packages? Is it holding the ball on too long? Is it just getting beat?
2: I would say it's a combination of all three. Um, with Jack Cohn back there, he has not recognized blitzes very well. Uh, there has been a lot of just offensive linemen getting blown off the ball, and you've had your share of corner blitzes too. We've, I think we've had two or three stretch sacks this year. Uh, it's it's kind of been a combination and it's a problem because you got to keep in Mayer or Kyron to try to block. And they're two of our biggest playmakers. So it's uh it's just a disaster, all in all. I, I won't mince words. We'll see if Drew Pine's mobility, if he is playing, changes it at all, but it has not been pretty so far.
3: Yeah, I guess we'll see a lot this week how much of it has been on the quarterback because a big reason why Pine is playing is because he's mobile. With Combe back there, um, anytime a team got pressure, they probably got a sack. And that led to a lot of them, but still, like it seems like every time Notre Dame drops back, there's some sort of pressure if a team rushes more than three. So, again, we'll see. I, I think this is a big weekend to sort of just – figure out how much of that was on the quarterback and how much of that truly is on just the lack of any sort of progress in the offensive line.
4: Another match. If I'm interested to look at this weekend is just Virginia tech offense faring as a whole against the Notre Dame defense, because Virginia tech does not turn the ball over knock on wood. We have not turned the ball over that much at all this year. Um, and Notre Dame's defense is a turnover factory. Uh, nine interceptions, four forced fumbles, 13 total takeaways. Uh, that's good for sixth in the nation. Um, solid rush defense as far as um, you know, 15 sacks, and then 120 yards per game on the ground uh, for Notre Dame's opposition. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see how Tech can move the ball, whether that's through the air or on the ground, um, and especially on third down because Notre Dame has one of the best third down defenses in the country as well. Um, Opponents are converting 28% of third downs against the Irish. So, you know, can we move the ball if it's a sloppy game? Can our wide receivers get separation? Um, So many question marks uh, that we will find out um, with this offense against the Notre Dame defense.
2: Yeah, and I think the one thing I'd put in there about that third down figure, it's gotten even better in recent weeks. Um, since midway through the first quarter against Purdue, which was week three, I guess, so, and this will be, what, week six, Notre Dame opponents have converted four of 37 attempts on third down. Granted, Graham Mertz was the quarterback for a good portion of those, so that's probably a contributing factor, but Notre Dame's been excellent on third down. Uh, thats I mean, that's college football playoff level defense on third down unfortunately the offense is quite up the par there, but the, the defense on third down has been. Managed.
3: I guess the one thing I would add to that is Notre Dame's defensive line. Like it, we're talking a mismatch. It's basically just the reverse. Um, they should be able to limit any sort of rushing game from Virginia tech um, and get after Burmeister when he does drop back. He is a pretty effective runner. You have alluded to it a little bit earlier, Billy Ray, but um, we'll see how much he does. Again, if, they are forced to run a lot in, in the rain, then um, we could see more creative ways on both sides to get quarterbacks involved in the running game. But Notre Dame's defense has been really good, not just picking people off. Um, they had two sack fumbles in the past two games and both come at really opportune times. So um, I think that could be a difference maker. So basically it's just going to be a competition of whether which defensive line dominates the other more probably.
0: Tyler, to add to that, my I, I think my main concern, and, and I'll allude to this later, but is, is Burmeister going to be able to make the throws that he needs to throw, especially in the rain? I mean, keep in mind the kids from La Jolla, California. Uh, he didn't grow up playing in the rain, doesn't rain a lot in SoCal. I don't think that he probably played enough at the University of Oregon to where he had a lot of experience playing in rain games. I'm just going to be completely honest. So that's uh, that's a legitimate concern of mine. Uh, I, hopefully, in practice this week, he's been doing the Josh Jackson special, where he's dunking the ball in a bucket of water and throwing it uh, to, to to get some to get some, I guess, environment reps, if you will. Um, so, I mean, if the pressure's coming, I mean, is he going to be able to make reads? Is he going to be able to get the ball out of his hands? And he, is he going to be able to throw it accurately? That's a that's a big concern.
1: So keys of the football game. And I have one. I'm actually interested to see how many people disagree with me on this. Um, One of my favorite games that I ever watched, uh, I'm going to be called a little bit of a loser narc here uh, was 2011 LSU, Alabama. It was nine to six. It was a hard hitting football game. There was a lot of talented defensive guys in that field. I think there were close to 24, or 25 guys on that on both defenses that played in the NFL, Um, and I think this is very similar where we have two, I I would say vanilla is putting it pretty lightly, uh, in terms of what the offenses are, uh, going against each other, playing against two top of the line defenses in college football. Um, that's kind of the situation that we're facing right now. It's going to be in lane stadium. It's going to be loud. Um, it may be, um raining um but that's 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 kind of how I see this game I think that field position is going to be extremely important Grayson like you said I think that the turnover differential is going to play a huge huge deal here and obviously special teams will be important um I see field position being as at a premium our coach talked about it in his press conference about how uh yards are going to be very difficult to come by four yards are going to be a huge deal in this football game I think it's going to be one of those grinded out type of games um So I think the keys to the game are protecting the football and winning up front. You could say that for literally every football game ever, but I think, uh, I think that that's just what I'm going to go with this
4: week. Game of field position. Don't turn it over. Don't get penalized. I'm going to zag you, Billy. You said you loved the LSU Alabama game. You said that was like your favorite game ever. Do you remember what we did on September 4th? What we did on September 4th. Um, Yeah. We went went to the, (laughs) we went to the Georgia Clemson game.
0: I was there. I said one-up. said one-up. What a snooze fest. We went, to the Georgia, we
4: went to the Georgia Clemson game, and you made me leave with you at halftime. <laughs> you were bored.
1: <laughs> yeah, No, that game know, it was extremely boring, and it was, also I had a great time. it was also at a neutral site. I can't do the whole neutral site <laughs> thing. And I was also exhausted from the day before. There was no football game that I could have watched on September fourth, after what we did on September third, that would be near as cool. So yes, I mean, I, I, I and there was not nearly as much talent on the field as there was in 2011. But that's besides the point. What do you think is the key to this football game?
4: I I already said it. I mean, we we already know the keys to the game. I just like giving you a very hard time. Respect uh, and that Georgia defense is elite. Okay, get out of here. Is. Georgia defense is. is elite. They're allowing 4.5 yards a game. A game. That is absolutely uh, out of control. All right, Billy, kick us off here with, uh, with your new segment or your, your iteration of our Letters from the Lunch
3: Pail. You're, you're does, anybody
1: have, does anybody have any other uh, keys to the game?
3: No, nah, nothing oh, okay. I haven't already yeah. said.
1: Yeah. Protect the football, I mean, exactly. win the field, goal, field position, and make yeah. field goals, please. I mean, yeah, please. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this on our iterations. Uh, we have Letters from the Lunch Pail, or postcards from the Pope, or telegrams from Touchdown Jesus. I think that was done pretty well. I think those are all solid. Um,
3: I like postcards from the Pope. That's good.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, but yeah, uh, Pat, why don't you kick us off with J.D. Doran?
4: Or uh, or this one's for you, Luke. Morris, Morse code from Morrissey. Wow. Okay. All right. I like that. <laughs> J.D. Doran. Is there anything nice about South Bend? If so, I've been a few times and haven't found it. Genuinely curious slash need recommendations for my next trip.
3: Take it away. I'll I'll leave this one off. I've also been there a few times. If there is, I haven't seen it. I'm still looking. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I like South Bend is, uh, I think Luke put it best. It's certainly a dump, but it's our dump. Um, As for the nicest thing, the river lights are pretty nice. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, I've been going for 25
2: years, and I, I, it's the weirdest place I've ever been to in my life. I've never seen anybody get so much a speeding ticket in that city. I'm, I'm not convinced anybody actually works or lives there, uh, and I lived there for four years, but... Anyways, uh, I'm gonna go with the Pottawatomie Zoo. Actually, believe it or not, uh, they have some really nice craft beer selection. You can walk around the zoo and then pretty cool selection of animals that you can interact with. Went there a handful of Sundays in college, and uh, it was a pretty good time. So, I'm gonna go with the Pottawatomie Zoo in downtown South Bend. Wow, a zoo shout out on the sons of <laughs> Saturday. That is a, that is absolutely a first.
0: Pat, um, do, you, do you have any recommendations going there, watching your brother play soccer or anything like that?
4: Uh, I would just say the Notre Dame campus is is the nicer. Yeah, South Bend, you
3: know? yeah. If we separate the two, yeah, it, South Bend is markets. a little bit different. Yeah, it's
4: it's a little different. Campus and and South Bend, Indiana, the downtown. Um, good times at the backer. Oh yeah.
0: So, so I, I I love this question. If a leprechaun and a roided up hokey bird get in a boxing match, who wins and what round? That is the leprechaun out. also on roids? Yeah, sure. Let's give them both roids. So I, I,
2: I was I was thinking that it was our current leprechaun, who I'm pretty sure is a female, which could cause some pretty interesting dynamics. I don't know if that's a fair get We don't
0: want ca- to get
2: canceled. Yeah. Right, Hollywood. yeah. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. I've seen some, some people that are probably mimic a leprechaun after – 20 beers get into fights before and it never really turns out that well for him. So I think I'm going to go with the, the hokey bird on steroids.
1: I actually want to ask you guys a question. Um, I I don't remember who sent it to me. Um, it doesn't really matter because it was absolutely absurd, but you at you two as Notre Dame uh, alumni, the New York post put out an article saying that the term fighting Irish was offensive. So I just wanted to ask you two as Notre Dame grads, does the term or mascot fighting Irish offend you? Cause if we're going to be spending this time together in Blacksburg, uh, Luke, and obviously Tyler, we're talking on a podcast. Now I don't want to offend you with, um, talking about your mascot. So is that offensive? Yes or no?
2: So that article recirculates like every five years. And, um, as both like a Notre Dame alum and somebody that's hundred percent Irish, I've never been offended by that. And, uh, it also just shows they didn't do any research, the actual, impetus for fighting Irish distills back to, uh, early it, when the Klu Klux Klan were very big and up on, and their headquarters were in South Bend and a bunch of Notre Dame students went down and beat the hell out of a bunch of Klu Klux Klan members. So that's where fighting Irish actually comes from. Uh, so wow. that's just the New York times not doing any research, which is shocking. I'm, I'm sure, but, uh, <laughs> it's not offensive. I'll leave it at that.
3: Yeah. well done. To add to that. That's perfectly okay. summarized.
2: Fantastic.
1: Um, next one we have is from Nate Hokeyball 16. What is your confidence level of beating Notre Dame versus Pittsburgh? feel like we have a better chance of beating Notre Dame this year, given their offensive performance thus far. And we'll also ask you guys what your, um, what's your confidence meter in this football game is. Look, I, I am so out on this confidence meter thing. We did it at the beginning of the season. It was my idea to do this segment. I have no idea what's going on. Pittsburgh looks I mean, Pittsburgh lost to a directional school, and then they've been putting a million touchdowns up on everybody else. Miami apparently is not very good. North Carolina apparently is really not good. Duke is decent. I mean, I, I have I have I have no idea what to make of our schedule. I just know that we have to play Notre Dame. I know that it's uh the capstone out of conference game that we're playing this season. Um, so I, I feel really good about our ones. I love the fact that we're coming off of a bye week this week. Uh, I, 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 trust in our defense and the way that I'm looking at this football game is we literally need our offense to like, I, you know, the meme where it's like the stick figure poking like a do dick, like literally <laughs> yeah. do anything. I think if we do anything, we're in a really good position to win this football game offensively. Um, but I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Grayson, go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, my confidence level of beating Notre Dame versus Pitt. I All I'll say is this. It would be very much like Virginia Tech to beat Notre Dame on Saturday and then get abused by the Pittsburgh Panther, Panthers. That would be very much like us. And so when that inevitably happens,
4: I told you so. When that happens, that's when we're going to have to queue up, you know, in the spirit of memes. There's also the meme of the dolphin jumping out of the water, looking at the rainbow with the Virginia Tech football (laughs) helmet on. And it says, I want to die. die. (laughs) die.
1: (laughs) So, Uh, Tyler, Luke, what is your confidence meter going into this game? And honestly, what are the vibes this season? I've read a couple. So I've I've been following uh, Pete Sampson since you guys have been interviewing him. He's a ton of fun to follow. Um, but it seems like ever since the Cincinnati game, a lot of people are like distraught and and just out on the season and upset with 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 Coach Kelly. I want to get kind of your take on this football game and your take on this season uh, for Notre Dame.
2: Yeah. Um, as it pertains to the game, it's a weird spot for Notre Dame, I think. I actually think, and this is weird because I'm still very upset that we lost that game and I think we kind of handled it to Cincinnati. I think it's almost a blessing that Notre Dame lost that game. I think now, the pressure of you're not undefeated. Uh, you have a loss. And, and even though it's a wacky college football year, the college football playoff is, is an afterthought. Now you can just kind of go out and play freely. And so in that sense, I, I feel confident that Notre Dame going to come out and, and look good on Saturday night. I don't know how that resolves the offensive line issues. Uh, that seems like an issue that's going to be present the whole rest of the year. Same with the quarterback position, there's just a little bit too much uncertainty there. I, you know, I, I would probably put my confidence meter at six and a half-seven for Notre Dame winning the ballgame. Um, but you know, I just don't know what to expect, how this group responds. I think I know how they will, but I don't know. I also want to touch on the pit thing, even though that's not directed to me. I, I guess I just haven't been paying enough attention. When I saw earlier today that they're averaging 52 points a game and they lost to Western Michigan, I was very confused because. The last time I watched the pit game, we beat them 45 to three. So I, I didn't know they were capable of scoring touchdowns, but I guess that's going on this year.
4: And they had the same exact quarterback then as they do now. Um, yeah. He has a couple more gray hairs. No, it is. He's got to figure it out over
3: there.
1: I, I, have no, I, I don't know what goes on over there. It, we lost to them by a million points last year, two years ago, we beat them. We shut them out at home. Um, it's, it's been a, Pittsburgh's interesting, man. But that's the ACC in general. You guys are—you guys got the ACC experience last year. It's—it's—it's it's, it's all over the place. Nobody knows what's going on, and it looks like it's—it's it's spread to the Atlantic as well. So, um, who knows?
3: All right. As for my confidence level, I don't know how confident you can truly be when you can't even say with certainty who's the starting quarterback is going to be on Saturday. But I, like Luke said, I, in a way, it's almost like. It's not better for Notre Dame that they lost, but I feel better that they will win this game because they did lose. I think there's a little bit more of a sense of urgency for this one. And you could tell kind of from the post-game comments after the Cincinnati game, I think maybe the, the players just took preparation a little bit for granted or there just became an expectation that they could just go about their business and win because the vast majority of the time, that's what happens. I mean, Notre Dame hadn't lost a regular season game since October of 2019. Now that they actually have lost, hopefully that should light a fire up under them and get them to come into this hostile environment, come together and come out with a win. But I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to really say, I would put my conference meter at like a six, six and a half, kind of what Luke said. Um, I actually am glad that it's, it's an away game though. Uh, Luke has one reason, but I have another. I really think that like when you go away from home and you come together as a team, you're basically forced to come together in this hostile environment. Like, Those guys are going to have to find themselves one way or another on Saturday, especially if Virginia Tech goes up early and the crowd's rocking. We're going to learn a lot about this Notre Dame team one way or another. I'm optimistic it will be a positive way and a positive indicator for the rest of the season. They could finish strong. But, I mean, I realistically could see this turning into a situation um, similar to 2014, where Notre Dame started off 6-0, basically we were robbed of a win at Florida state because of a weak offensive pass interference penalty, which you guys are probably familiar with. Um, and then the season kind of went off the rails after that due to a bunch of injuries. And then I think they finished like seven and five or something. They went zero oh, and four in November. So that's really all you need to know. Um, but yeah, we're going to find out this Saturday, what this team is made of.
4: So last letter of the lunch pail here submitted by Billy Ray, Luke Smith. You've been to Blacksburg in 2018, you make the return trip this weekend. What are you most excited about on this return visit?
2: Ideal timing. I realize it's actually three years to the day, uh, that Friday before the game was today, as we're recording this on Tuesday night, but a couple of things come to mind. Um, you know, obviously looking forward to seeing you guys, but, uh, I am really looking forward to making a return to, to Sharkies. I had a great time there Friday before the Notre Dame game, the last time I was in town. And uh then there's one more thing, which I don't know if you guys have any idea who this person is, but she came up on my snap memories today and it was to talk of a, a text message that I'm in with my group of friends who went down there, but we had this. Uber driver, I guess I'll call her, uh, probably four or five times that weekend, drove the Hokie Mobile, and her name was was Mama Lisa. Yes. She she (laughs) was absolutely insane in the best way possible. So if she's still driving around Blacksburg, I would love to interact with her again because that is quite the experience. Um, It sounds like people might know who that is, so I don't know that I have to say anymore, but it's an experience.
1: He is an absolute local legend. Uh, yes. you are gonna get some uh, you are gonna get some people excited in their Priuses listening to this podcast. So uh, that is one hell of a hell of a throwback. Um, but yeah, moving right along, we're jumping into our over-unders, which are brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official is unofficial sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SOS. That is code SOS for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SOS only at
4: DraftKings Sportsbook.
1: Pat, give us the DraftKings lines for this football game.
4: Governor Cooper, give us some uh, give us some legal gambling here. We need it down here in North Carolina. Over under on DraftKings, 47.0. Notre Dame is a one-point favorite. As of Tuesday, October 5th, Notre Dame has won six consecutive road games. And as Luke mentioned earlier, 35 consecutive on, uh, what is it? 35 consecutive road games? No, 35 consecutive games against unranked opponents. It's a lot of games. Uh, Virginia Tech's last six home games have hit the under. It might be raining. Um, We've done our part in helping it hit the under. We have held the last and we yourself. have talked we have talked ad nauseum about the fact that it might precipitate on saturday so billy give us the uh, the grant watson over unders some results from last week and then the uh the news uh, the new ones for this week
1: we'll run through the ones from last week virginia tech points scored 38 and a half that went under total rushing yards 240 that went under and Jermaine waller interceptions 0.5 that also went under his first football game without an interception Um, for those keeping track at home. Um, So for this week, fellas, Tyler and Luke, our guy Grant Watson writes in every week and develops a couple of over-unders for us to uh, debate and weigh in on. So we will start that off with Kyron Williams rushing yards, 65. I am absolutely crushing the over. He is going to get plenty of carries, and I don't see any way that he doesn't rush for 65 yards, barring an injury. We'll go uh, and start with Luke. I'm
2: actually going to take the under here. Uh, he's only eclipsed 65 yards in a game twice this season uh, against Purdue and against Toledo. And both of those kind of came on late runs where he busted one for a touchdown for 20 or maybe 50 yards. It's no fault of his own, and they can use him in the passing game. But uh, our offensive line, I just – I. I frankly do not trust to get him to 65 yards. Uh, I, I think he's – I'm looking at it right now. He's got 77 carries for 289 yards on the year. So that's 3.8 carry. That's not what he's accustomed to, not what we're accustomed to, but I'm, I'm going to take the under there.
4: Patrick Finn. I'm i going to side with my man Luke. Uh, <laughs> he knows Kyron Williams a lot better than I do. So uh, let's go under here. Tyler.
3: I say over and- – solely because I think he's going to break one. Um, he's due. He hasn't done it <clears throat> since Purdue and he's probably going to get stuffed all game and then break off like a, it could be a 65 yard run. He could get it all in one carry and get 20 other carries and not get it. He had seven. I think he had his longest run against Wisconsin was seven. Granted, Wisconsin is the best rushing defensive football, but still, I'm going to take the over barely.
0: Grace, I'm, I'm going to take the over as well to keep it interesting because of the rain that we have talked about a thousand times today, I think Notre Dame will probably keep it on the ground a decent bit. So I'm with Tyler in the sense that if he does hit the over, it probably won't be by much.
1: Next one is first quarter total points scored 13 and a half. Uh, I I can see this football game going into halftime, like, like seven, nothing, Um, 13 and a half points. I'm just not, I'm not seeing it chief. Um, I guess the, the only way that, that you can see that is, I mean, ha, regardless about how you feel about Virginia tech's offense, the first drive, the first scripted drive has done really well this season. Um, so if we're going to get points, we'd love to get them right out of the gate. Um, but again, I think this is going to be a run heavy football game and points are going to come at a premium. So I'm going to go under Luke.
2: Yeah. Under, uh, frankly, it could be three to zero at halftime. I, I just, I, uh... I'm struggling to see how a lot of points are going to be scored, especially with the projected weather of now I'm going under
4: under under under. under call me Oscar bradburn under. <laughs> under, under. under uh last one that we have here is
1: Braxton Burmeister passing touchdowns and I'm gonna add my own after this one just to give us give us a one but Braxton Burmeister passing touchdowns one and a half oh man. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go under. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go under. I think again, we're going to see a lot of Raheem Blackshear. We're going to see a lot of, uh, Jalen Holston. So I'll go under.
0: We're going to see a lot of jet Sweet under hammer that.
2: Uh, you know, Notre Dame has been susceptible to some long passing touchdowns, especially earlier in the year. I don't see how they get two of them though. I, I'm going to go under. I think he probably has passive TD and that's it.
3: Yeah. I'm going under too because of Grayson's confidence. I don't, I don't see how you could take the over after that.
1: <laughs> what's your last one, Billy?
4: Well, Pat, what's your over/under? I already said under. I I said under.
1: Okay, my last one is uh, number of quarterbacks that take snaps for Notre Dame. One and a half.
2: <laughs> over.
3: <laughs> Over, over, over. You over, think
2: we see over. multiple quarterbacks against, uh, against we State. could, it would not shock me if we saw all three again or, uh-huh. or hell, maybe even Ron Paulus Jr. for four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's oh, I, 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 fully expect to see two and I would not be shocked by three.
4: We might see Tommy Reese even take a few. Yeah. I would love that. We, we yeah. might yeah. see
0: two take, uh, take snaps for Virginia Tech too. I, I bet you we see Blummer at want, least oh, once.
4: Oh, Blummer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I bet you see we,
0: we see Blummer. Sure. I At could last see, time. We, saw, we saw three
4: last week, Bill.
1: That's true. You're right. You're right. I could I could see. Well, last week we were trying a bunch of new things, but I could definitely see. I could see Blumrick for sure to get a couple of snaps. Good call, Grayson. Um, so here we go. Score predictions presented by Sharkies. It is where good friends go. It is where all of us are going to be going on Friday night. Come say hello. Come holler. Come hang out. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, but score predictions. Pat,
4: kick us off. All right. Uh, weather's going to be a factor. Penalties are going to be a factor. Special teams, field position, turnovers will all uh, be deciding factors that decide a game of field position. Virginia Tech has only 15 penalties on the campaign this uh, this fall, which is number one in the country. Uh, Virginia Tech wins in a tight one, 17-16, to 16, taking the
0: Hokies. What you got, Grayson? I loved Luke's comment earlier where it says, how do you prove yourself if, you know, we just came off a tough loss to Cincinnati? Like, what does that even mean? I think that's hilarious. I I, I think it acts as a proving ground for both teams in the sense that, I mean, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of both teams' seasons. Uh, Notre Dame's going to be pissed after that loss to Cincinnati. They're going to come into Blacksburg super angry. Uh, I think Brian Kelly's going to have them ready to rock. Um, although given Tyler and Luke's just kind of outlook on their offense, I, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. With the rain, I see Virginia Tech particularly having a tr- having a hard time holding on to the football. I think Notre Dame will capitalize on opportunities that we're probably gonna withhold from. And to quote my old man here, prior to recording, he said, This this is what I think is gonna happen. And I quote, the defense will play its nuts off. But the offense will play not to lose when we should play to win and we'll walk out of Lane Stadium gnashing our teeth, thinking of all the ways we could have won the game, but did not. End quote. Uh, that said, I'm taking Notre Dame twenty four to seventeen because I agree with my dad. Uh, I, I, I just I think this will be one of those games where we have opportunities to put it away but we'll play not to lose as opposed to to playing to win. And, and that's, that's going to be the kicker in this ball game.
3: All right. I'll jump in here. Um, look, Notre Dame hasn't lost back-to-back regular season games since 2016 when they fell to Virginia tech and then USC. Um, I think there's a reason to pick them or, well, I guess now Notre Dame is favored by one, but there's a reason these two teams have been pretty even. I think they are pretty even for the most part, and I think the difference maker is going to come down to coaching and who has more star players. I think Notre Dame has the advantage of both. But then again, it's I don't really see any team moving the ball that effectively all game, so I would take the under. And I think the final score will ultimately be 17-10 to 10 Notre Dame. All
2: right. Um, I I think this is a really weird spot for Notre Dame. They're coming off a tough loss to Cincinnati, snapping their four-year long home winning streak. Virginia Tech is the second of four straight opponents and five overall on the schedule to have a bye before playing the Irish. Another reason why I hate this goddamn ACC arrangement, but uh, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, But you might think that matters to bye, but with the amount of questions that Notre Dame has on offense, I'm not sure how much there is to glean because probably all the tape that Um, You know, the Hokies we're looking at last week might completely change if Drew Pines starting a quarterback on Saturday. So I'm siding with Woj here. The weather does concern me, given Notre Dame's inability to run the football. However, I'm I'm hopeful that last week's loss released some pressure for this team. And and they come out loose and and playing free Saturday night. I I do sense some lackiness in this game and probably a a number of field goals. I think Notre Dame could struggle to score the football. But with that in mind, I'm going to say they're going to come out on top. 22 to 13 over the Hokies in a weird game that quite frankly could be pretty ugly to watch.
1: I am running through scenarios in my head and it can be pretty much anything. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to be an extremely low scoring first half. Uh, It may rain in the first half and then stop raining in the second half. And then I'm expecting some more points to be scored in the second half. I'm actually going to go with the over and I'm going to go 27 to 31. Uh, I think, uh, I I think, you know, it's been weird all season. The things that we haven't expected to happen have happened. Um, So that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go 2731 Hokies. Yeah. So a couple of housekeeping items from the rest of this week, please come check us out at the Main Street Pharmacy and go ahead and get your pins. Uh, You're able to get your pins. You're able to get your stickers. You're able to get all sorts of Sunday, Saturday, fantastic merchandise over there. Uh, We also, as I'm pulling up the itinerary for the first time ever in the history of the Sons of Saturday, we have a table where you are going to be able to get phone wallets for the back of your phone with the Sons of Saturday logo on it. We are going to have a couple of students that will be holding it down there. That will be right outside of the Turner Dining Hall and Lavery Hall on Thursday, October 7th. You can see us over at Sharky's Friday night and then a Roots Natural Kitchen sponsored game day tailgate. That is in lot one, spot 164 from 1130 to 115. Please bring your student ID. Please bring a smile and please bring the Roots app where we will um, make sure you're signed up so that you can get 20% off of your bowl at Roots Natural Kitchen. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. We're just going to wrap it up with shout outs that make me smile. Brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry and also brought to you by our favorite dentist, Dr. John Cran. Pat, give us your shout outs and also tell a little bit about John Cran and Lazes' collaborative tailgate
4: that we would love people to show up to. Yeah, so after our roots tailgate, uh, that winds down at 115, head on over. Um, I believe it's right in front of Castle. Um, That's correct. Yeah, with although with the rain, that might be subject to change. Just there's a rain plan, rain sons of rain plans. Hopefully, uh, check social media, we'll be posting about it. Uh, Dr. Cran and Lays and Cornell will be there. Um, Lays or Cran, Dr. Cran bought um, a handful of books that he's going to be doing a, a book signing for for the Cornell effect. So, check that out. And Lays is handing out clean mountain air pins and buttons, which will be a classic game day flair piece. I also believe that Saturday and or Sunday is world mental health day, which coincides perfectly with Lays' cause uh, and the foundation that he's looking to promote. So that's awesome. Head on over there. And then another shout out uh, while on the Lays train, um, Evan Hughes, man, big time shout out to Evan Hughes who filled in for Lays on Monday uh, on tech talk live. Um, that's our guy, man. Evan, you did a great job uh, hosting t- uh, TTL with Coach Fuente uh, down at McLean's while Lays was in Richmond for the Hardywood uh, basketball kickoff, which also looked like a sick event, by the way. Um, the Hokie Club of Richmond put on a, uh, a basketball kickoff event. Coach Young was there. Coach Brooks was there. Um, I want to say Keve Aluma and Aisha Shepard were there too, but that looked like an awesome event. So shout out to everyone involved over there. And uh, yeah.
0: Like uh, like Pat said, the uh, the book signing, Dr. Cram, 200 copies of the Cornell effects. All the proceeds will be going towards the Clean Mountain Air Initiative, which all those proceeds are supporting mental health, which is an awesome, awesome cause. Uh, shout out to the Sons of Saturday, Iris, for joining us, man. It's so exciting that uh, that you guys do what you do. And, and are helping us build this build this awesome brand. Uh, Luke, can't wait to meet you in person, brother. Tyler, you live in L.A., dude, so we got to watch a football game together. We'll figure all that out. Uh, and last-minute switch up, uh, I've said it on Twitter, but I will be at the Notre Dame game, um, which I'm very, very excited about. So, um, yeah, shout-out to, to everyone on this podcast. Shout-out to Hokey Nation. Can't wait to see you all this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tyler, go ahead, man. Um, uh, I'm going to give a shout
3: out to, uh, DJ sticky boots. Uh, those in the Notre Dame community know who I'm talking about. Uh, apparently was the difference maker of the Cincinnati game for the Virginia tech fans. I'll just brief you real quick. He is the apparently normal stadium DJ, but he's taking a, a little break. And, uh, whoever the fill in had a, whoever the fill in was had a quite a rough day against Cincinnati. So DJ Stadion- was it? it was look. horrible.
2: It was <laughs> horrible. We're talking after we got stopped on fourth down, which was our last turnover on downs. They started playing seven nation army, which just led to the Cincinnati fans jumping around in the stadium. And then as we were exiting the stadium, uh, they were playing dancing queen for Cincinnati fans to dance all over our graves. Uh, it was horrible. That guy should never fill in again. I went at DJ sticky boots today. thinking he was, which by the way, ridiculous name also happened to be followed by barack obama on twitter which i don't know why that was either but uh it was uh it was horrible and i i'm i still haven't really come to full grips with it yet but it was i I never want to see whoever that was again (laughs) anyways on the other side something that's going to make me smile um i'm going to go with that's a good it's a good question i'm gonna ah, jesus christ i'm it takes gonna a lot on. to make
3: luke smile as you guys <laughs> <can> true. <laughs> uh,
2: i'm gonna go with uh, uh hopefully you know, uh, just going down to blacksburg again i'll go with that you know i mean i'm looking forward to it looking forward to getting down there and seeing you all uh it's gonna be a lot of fun this weekend
1: yeah, I'll take us home. Uh, I'll take us home by shouting out everybody at home. I uh, flew back to uh, New Jersey, spent some time here. Um, I got. I want to say. I- I'll go out on a tangent for a second. I think it is way cooler to check your mail once every six months. Like I haven't. I haven't gotten mail. I've been all over the country for the last six months, and getting mail is annoying. It's mundane. You go out there, you get a, a check from like Chase and maybe some advertisements. I come home after six months and it's like christmas i mean i got wedding invites i got um you know hokey club stuff i got um you know the the season ticket package i think it is way cooler to get your mail once every six months so shout out to the mailman shout out to uh my parents for throwing out all the uninteresting mail i mean it was literally all interesting stuff so just you know life hack check your mail once every six months
4: do you do you pay your bills like do we need dude, a crash paperless. course in adulting one hundred and one? Yes, Yeah, do you- I do need a I do need are a crash you course. Do you i know how stressed out. I would be if I did not get my mail for two weeks. Are I, you? you know? Well, dude, I got my epic pass.
1: We're ready for ski season next year. I got weddings coming up next year. I got, I got the save the date and the actual wedding invite. I I <laughs> I, I missed the whole in between time between both. It was great. Well,
4: I hope I hope you didn't plan anything. You know, <laughs> since you didn't get to save the date in time. You are crazy. Um,
1: <laughs> so yeah shout out to that um shout out to the park city kids linked up with them gab carl danny uh it's good to see them all back saw mount joy in new york city at pier 17 don't know if anybody here listens oh hell yeah mount joy. big mount oh, joy
3: oh, fan. oh, big oh mount joy fan.
1: thank you pat is on the mount joy is a is a mount joy uh whatever the opposite of a truther is but i am a, You're big, a hater i am My a business, big man. Mount joy guy
4: i i am not a mount joy hater i just get out of control you know Billy drives me crazy cuz he thinks Mountain Joy is the Rolling Stones. He thinks Mountain Joy is literally John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr and George Harrison. Like, no, here's the That's problem. the that,
0: that, that's the Beatles, not the no, Rolling Stones. No, here's the problem. Is I'm, we don't
1: have that many good artists that are out right now. I can't say, "Oh, my favorite person that I grew that I when I was this age had was somebody that my parents listened to." So I'm just this is the band I like. I saw him in San Diego and then I saw him here in New York and they did a Bill Withers tribute. It was absolutely unbelievable in an unbelievable venue. So shout out to Kyle Paris and Pongo. I saw them. And then last one, shout out to Puglia, the Italian restaurant in New York city. Standing up. My my fat ass was standing up on tables, waving a towel in the air, eating lasagna, bottomless beer, bottomless wine. It was unreal. Shout out to Natalie and Alyssa. And happy birthday to this kid from Columbia who had a bar tab afterwards. I mean, it was great to be back on the East. I'm back. I'm coming back. I, this weekend solidified it. The West Coast thing's been fun. I miss the East Coast. I got to I got to come home. The, the chickens have to come to roost. So um that was a little long-winded shout out actually don't if you're listening to this don't check your mail once every six months that's actually a horrible way to go about it um so that's all that we have for you uh sons of saturday check out sons of saturday uh sons of sat irish to get all of the information going on with the irish side of things and um we're excited it's going to be a great week go Hokies and you guys can say go irish because i'm not going to say go irish
3: go irish appreciate you guys thanks
1: for
2: having us yeah appreciate it guys go irish